How about the industry? When you think about how much things have changed, how has it changed since you first got involved? And all, and more importantly, like where do you see things heading in the future? Great question. As far as pro goes, we just did a, a SEMA News article that just came out a couple days ago that we, we talk about this. Uh, our side is constantly evolving, right? Pro evolves as trends evolve, whether it's What's in style? Is it overlanding? Is it landau roofs? Is it wire rims? What is it? It's it not changes landau with, roofs. Yeah, so. I know. Not, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So it, it, our side evolves is that Josh is doing a lot of lifts, wheels, and tires. He's doing fleet. He's doing PPF. So our guys have to just change with how the industry trends are changing. Welcome to the Ride and Style Podcast, your turbocharged pit stop for automotive restyling. Buckle up with Jesse and Josh. Welcome to another episode of the Ride and Style Podcast. Today we're joined by Colby McLaughlin. He's president, managing partner at Trim Illusion and Landisky Holdings, a SEMA board member and chair of SEMA Pro. Colby's expertise spans from OEM prototype builds to leading the aftermarket space with innovative Chrome Delete solutions. I would say it sounds like he's a true enthusiast, both in, both in business and in personal life, where he enjoys outdoor adventures and apparently Caribbean getaways as well. <laughs> oh, what a rock Absolutely. star. What a rock star. I know, right? Well, what, one correction, and maybe this is for seeing the future. Okay. I'm not on the board. Uh, I am on the pack board and, and SEMA Pro, but thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Well, that. you know, so eventually you will be on the board. So sure. we're the ones that are trying to push your campaign. <laughs> Perfect. So, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, it, you know, it's awesome to have Colby on because, uh, I mean, Colby and I worked real well together and really closely over the last, what, four, three or four or five years. Um, and, uh, you know, Colby has really aged a lot in this last four or five years. <laughs> he used to be the young guy and with the other energy and now he's got all this experience and wisdom. And so it's really showing up in his beard. I feel. Yeah. Cracker barrel dinner at 4 PM and, and bed right after. So I'm there. I'm right yeah, there with you. That's now. why we had to push this up just because he goes to bed <laughs> so early. So, uh, no, my wife would agree. Listen, Jesse, if you don't know a lot about Colby, Colby is, you know, relatively young in this business, um, even though he's been around for a while, but he's hit the ground running, man. I mean, he's doing everything, volunteering here and doing this for SEMA and for, you know, um, a lot of a lot of it. He has a lot of people with it, with his company that he helps out. So, you know, it's awesome to have him on. But the reason why we wanted to have him on is because he's the current chair of SEMA Pro, the professional restylers organization. Uh, he does work with other SEMA organizations. We'll touch on that. But, you know, we really want to kind of tap his brain to find out because he's at the forefront of leading this restyling organization and the members of where we're going. So maybe we maybe we start there, Jesse. Let's find out from this genius prodigy of, you know, so many people, where where are you taking the professional restylers organization? Yeah, great question. So, I mean... First, I always thank my my mentors and the people who paved the way before me. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those people, Josh, you and and Dino included and everybody in the group uh, on our select committee. I mean, we're lucky to have so many very enthusiastic, smart people from different parts of the segment of pro that really run this thing. And uh, I'm humbled and fortunate to take that cheer role and to be able to serve with those people. But, you know, really where we're going and this term has been interesting dino's term hit right during covid everything changed you know your chair came in right after covid and now dealers are evolving in their, in their selling process now you know with my chair term we've got you know the uaw strikes and inflation and and the buying process of vehicles is changing the way dealers present vehicles are changing it really really hits our segment in an interesting way and even talking to kevin gillis who's our chair elect um, he says in, in all the years in the business is he doesn't remember ever, uh, interest rates being, uh, a thing, you know, a, a hitch from somebody buying a vehicle. And because we went from COVID to where people were just, you know, anybody could borrow at 0%. Now the banks, uh, you know, book of business is so risky, you know, people even in the seven, eight hundreds are hard, having a hard time getting bought. So it's just an odd, odd time right now to be chair, but I, I'm excited. Um, I think we've got some really exciting things going on. 
is it did was there any excuses in no, there you felt Jesse or do you feel like <laughs> I mean I feel like he set it up like listen this may not work out great so if this all happens it's not because of me but I don't yeah, know yeah, what you was your, Jesse what I, was your I take thought it was that? a really diplomatic and po- political answer I I like okay. it I appreciate good diplomacy so that was great okay well he is he's he is the diplomat in fact that might be his new nickname <laughs> the, the diplomat diplomat the diplomat <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, um, oh, Colby, I, I, if you don't mind, let's go back a little bit. And I would love if you could describe your background and journey before and into the auto restyling industry. And how'd you get started with it? So I love a good story. If you could go back and, and tell me, you know, what, what happened before and what built into that? And what were you doing in the, the early years? Yeah, um, great question. I've I've always been one that I feel like I was in the right place, right time. I mean, I I, I don't I'm not so humble to say that I didn't put in the work to get there, but a lot of my career has been timing. I was in middle college. Uh, if for people who may not have middle colleges, basically the state will come and say, Hey, we're going to give away technical degrees. Um, we'll do you an advanced high school and then you'll go into college. We'll give you credits and to go into a technical field. So I come from a very blue collar family. Um, I, I got accepted. I was a sophomore in high school. So you leave high school and then you go into the college campus by with different teachers and they basically give you the last two years of high school in about two semesters. And so it was really advanced on that, you know, a lot of time. And then I get into um, the college courses, right? And I have to choose what I want to go down. I love cars. I've always loved cars. My dad loved cars. It was always on TV when I was a kid, catalogs, magazines, everything. And so I wanted to get into automotive. My parents said, no way, we don't want a gearhead. Uh, You know, we need you to be the white collar now, right? So they put me in business management and I hated it. I hated it. I hated everything about it. And uh, Washtenaw Technical uh, Community College at that time was doing uh, custom cars and concepts programs. So it's basically an advanced and the collision side of things where they're working on on custom cars. And I go in there and there's motorcycles and lower vehicles on air ride suspension and hot rods. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. And uh, it was really cool. I get into the collision side I pushed through that, get into the advanced side of things. And they had just started, we were in the back backyard of the big three, right? We're in Southeast Michigan. So we've got Detroit right there. We've got all the OEMs and GM performance parts comes to the college and says, Hey, we're releasing our new 572 crate motor. We want you guys to build a Chevy, uh, a Chevelle. It was a 70 Chevelle. And we want you to put the 572 in it. It's going to be on the catalog. We're going to do an episode of rides on TLC, which I didn't disclose until Josh found it because it was a uh, blonde highlight slicked back, a creepy mustache, the shell necklace. So I don't tell many people about it, but now that it's out, it doesn't I have the picture. Awesome. Jesse. I have the picture. The frosted tips we're, are We're going to make that the cover of this episode. It'll be so cool. Yes. There you go. Yes. Boy band 100%. Backstreet Boys ahead. McLaughlin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The diplomat. So uh, the diplomat. So we built this 70 Chevelle. It was awesome. Like I said, we had an uh, episode on rides, which was at the same time as overhauling. And uh, it was on the Hot Rod Power Tour. They sent us out to SEMA, and this is 2005. And uh, fast forward, we're at the show. I meet a couple gentlemen and find out that they own a uh, OE concept company in Plymouth, Michigan, not, not, not far down the road from me. So they offer me a position over there. So we were basically a glorified body man, you know, at that point in time. So we, we did a lot of cool stuff. We did all the OEM. I wouldn't say all of them. We did a lot of the OEM uh, releases that would be at the Detroit Auto Show. At that time, Detroit was at the front end of the North American International Auto Show. So this is where Lincoln Ford, the black tie events, this is where all the OEMs were releasing their new models or the concepts of those. So we built um, the Chevy Volt, the Ford Super Chief. That was on Time Magazine. This was an enormous truck. It was actually, if I remember correctly, the most expensive concept vehicle that Ford ever built. It was enormous. If you if you search Ford Super Chief, you'll find it. Um, and it was, uh, it Lincoln awesome. MK, awesome it, and it, they, it, it's so crazy the amount of detail and money that the OEMs yeah. used to put into concepts. I mean, there was something exciting about releasing yeah. these vehicles. And part of we we can talk about you know what our our the group's idea for the new car show was was to inject that enthusiasm into the consumer side of things because i seen pictures of detroit auto show this year and it was it was a, a fraction of what it used to be i mean this was the big event in detroit people would come in from all around the world so i did i, I worked on that and then in the off season when it wasn't show car season we would build hot rods we built we had built a lot of sema builds uh for the u.s ski team 
Um, we did some uh, with uh, Funkmaster Flex. Yeah, we did a lot of vehicles there. It was it was interesting. But we were one of only three companies in the world that could do everything on a concept vehicle outside oh. the glass. So Ford would send us the CAD scans. We would build these huge armaments with foam, take a five-axis mill, take them down. We would clay model the vehicles. And then at that time, it would be this, we would just make this huge fiberglass real size body, right? And then we would put it on uh, a subframe. And one of my favorite ones we built, and this is kind of a cool story. So <clears throat> there was a, a, a company came to us called Carbon Motors. And what they wanted to make is, is their idea was, hey, every municipality or county or state, they go buy a Ford Explorer, they go buy a Crown Victoria, and then they completely strip it to make it a cop car. So why don't we make our own cop car? And then, you know, uh, a city can come in and say, hey, here's our logo. And then they can a la carte add things like um, sniffers for for biological weapons or whatever. I mean, it was supposed to, it was suicide doors, all this. So we spent a lot of time in clay modeling on this. Sometimes what looks good on the 3D, then you get it in real size and you're like, oh, this is, this looks horrible. So we we constantly, we kept changing the rear end of this thing. And then we got to it. And they said, all right, this vehicle from, from our factory is going to have a V10 diesel, but there's no V10 diesels in the States uh, on, on a car. So we had to bring in a seven series from Germany, still had the Maroonie stickers on it. I mean, this was like an $80,000 seven series at that time. First thing we started doing is we, we grabbed the, uh, the sawzalls and we start cutting this thing up, right? Because we only need the subframe and the drivetrain. So we do that. We put the body on it and, uh. And it's just, it was really cool. I mean, like I said, it was suicide doors. It was totally custom. We did a few different uh, color variations on it. But after that vehicle was released, <clears throat> I got a call from one of my buddies, you know, come from the video game age. And he says, you won't believe what I'm staring at on Need for Speed. He says, that carbon motors car you painted is one of the special <laughs> unlocks for the police cars. So it was just, it was super cool. Unfortunately, um, things didn't work out with that company. It ended up going bankrupt, and they sold the concept. But if you search for the Carbon Motors E7 concept vehicle, that's it. And it was it was so How cool to fun. work on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. So you're basically saying you like cars? Is that? I mean, <laughs> is that kind of what I'm hearing here? That I do. I mean, so what? So I, I real quick before Jesse gets into a, a, another question, why why do you like cars? And then your next love is deep sea diving how do those even go together like did you one day get in a boat or a, a car drive off a cliff all of a sudden you're at the bottom of some ocean you're like oh this is kind of cool maybe this I should is check cool this yeah out too. Well, how did you get into yeah. deep sea diving actually diving is something i've my dad always had aquariums uh saltwater aquariums i've had aquariums there's something just fascinating about um the deep sea i mean it's so unexplored and uh, i i will tell you people who know me i'm uh I'm a pretty energetic person um, and I don't take time to slow down. I, I don't meditate. I don't do any of that. And diving is the one thing it forces you to focus on your breath. And it's just, it's deafen, deafening, deafeningly uh, quiet. Like you're just down there and you just hear bubbles and it's just it under, under the water is so cool. I love it. It's, it's relaxing. Until you get caught in a current and you're getting hit off rocks. So that's probably one of my uh, least exciting things about diving. But uh, cars, again, that cars were just, my dad was a huge gearhead. He had a 67 Camaro growing up. Um, yeah, he had a lot of cars, but when I was young, he had a 67 Camaro. And actually, it was, uh, it was stolen when I was a kid. A 67 Camaro was stolen. And uh, goes through some hands. And these, these two attorneys in Detroit, it was on the local news, but these two attorneys in Detroit buy it and they go to NPD to buy uh, a piece of windowsill trim for it. And if you know about first gen Camaros the, uh, with the smoker vent window on the 67s and um, they had the people who had stole it had um, retitled it as a 69. And so they go in NPD and they're like, this is, this is a 67. And those lawyers went through everything and I ended up getting back to my dad. But it just, cars were always uh, growing up. I mean, it was Meekum Auto Auction. There was um, you know, catalogs all over. I mean, that's just what, what and it then, was. And up. then in terms of the business, your actual business now, how did you start that? How did you get into that? Yeah, great question. So um, leaving the OEM, I got, I got called by my uncle. Uh, he worked for a company called Chrome Enhancements. 
and he was in the west side of Michigan. He says, Hey, you really need to look at this. And I laugh at him. I said, I'm working on like $25 million concepts. You want me to go <laughs> sell hubcaps? Like, come on now, seriously. And he says, just give it a try. It, you know, it's, it, you could be really successful at it, especially in the Southeast Michigan. So I, my bosses knew, you know, they said, listen, Colby, if you, if it doesn't work out, you got your position back here. So don't worry about it. So I said, all right, no risk. I looked at the guys around me. We worked, you know, 120 hour weeks, uh, you know, at doing prototyping. It was a hard life. I looked at the people around me. They lived hard lives. Uh, there were no soft deadlines for the Detroit auto show. Right. So I said, all right, uh, you know, this is a no risk thing. I'll jump in, had really good success with it in, in Southeast Michigan and Chrome enhancements was a big customer of Trim Illusion at that time. And so, you know, I got to know Najee throughout the years. Um, and I loved his enthusiasm, his, his thought, thought process. He's an entrepreneur at, by heart. And, um, you know, he came to me and said, Hey, do you want to, you want to come run this? I need help. You know, I want to focus on the manufacturing side, but the day-to-day stuff, I don't want to get involved in. So here we are. That was, that was almost five. That was a little over five awesome. years ago. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, can you, can you share some of the biggest challenges that you faced in the industry and how you've overcome them? You know, I, I'm sure you've seen a, you've a lot of challenges and a lot of bumpy stuff. Yeah, there, there are a lot of challenges. Um, you know, especially on the manufacturing side, you want to be first to market, but then you need to make sure the product's right. So how you balance that. Um, if anybody knows Najee, he's let's, let's do it and let's do it now. And so, you know, we, we work well together and kind of meshing that together. Um, you know, obviously the dealer world as Josh knows, you know, a large part of our business too is, is we have routes that sell product to dealerships. So we have a lot of remote salespeople as a, as a challenge and, you know, COVID has helped overcome some of those remote things. I'm sorry, the, the technology has helped overcome some of those things, uh, for remote employees, but you know, our business sways with the dealers, you know, if a, if a dealer, we feel it about three weeks after dealers feel it, that's when it kind of trickles to us. So, you know, these past three, four years where, you know, new inventory was nothing. And then, you know, there were no new cars and then used inventory, they're getting, you know, 50% over book on and, and, you know, and, and so dealers are grossing as much as they can. And then that dries up and then the book's changing. So it's, you know, we've evolved. Our, you know, our direct consumer side of things has grown a lot uh, in the past few years. And we knew that that was a vertical that we needed to explore. Um, but it's just ever evolving. You know, uh, you wake up every morning and you're wondering what, what curveball you're going to get thrown today. But um, thankfully, we have a phenomenal team. Um, they, they pivot well. They did pivot well. Um, and, and yeah, we just keep growing. So, so Jesse, have you seen the latest from Trim Illusion? This is great. Colby, explain how yeah. you decided to do a commercial and then what happened oh, when you okay. got there. That's what I want to. Oh. So, I mean, oh. it's one thing to sell to some guy like me, but it's another thing to make a commercial. So tell us about the commercial you guys recently did. Yeah, so we shot we shot a couple commercials. We're working on brand building. You know, we want to be the the Q-tip or the Kleenex to trim products, you know, where that's we're the, the house name to that. Um, and so we shot a couple commercials, had a couple different iterations of what we were going to do. But, uh, one of them was a husband washing his car and his wife comes out and says, dinner's almost ready. And then he says, all right, I'll be in in a minute, honey. And then he gets the idea. I'm going to, I'm going to change this thing up. I'm going to snap on a bunch of TI stuff. And she comes out and she's like, I thought you were washing the car, <laughs> not buying a new one. So the morning we, we are, we are going to start fly to Phoenix just to oversee it, make sure everything goes smoothly. And, uh, I show up. Monday morning. And then people know I like my loud Johnson and Murphy uh, button ups. I just, I like, I like button ups and I almost wore one and I didn't. I was like, oh, I'll just wear a plain gray t-shirt. And I show up and, and, uh, my friend Jim Weaver, who, who's the director of agency over at Revolution Parts, he slaps me on the shoulder. He says, the husband did show up. You're the husband. I'm like, oh, great. Well, I'm glad I didn't wear my button up or that would have looked really odd watching a vehicle. Um, and then the, the second commercial we shot was, uh, two guys trying to get, you know, hit on a couple girls and the girls aren't interested. They walk past their vehicle and the guys, and then they go eat and then they come out and they had just changed the vehicle with our products. And they're like, Oh, I love your vehicle. Uh, so they were <laughs> great. So, so that reminds so funny, him of the, of high school, right? That's, you know, yeah. if you would have only had your own trim products back in high school, 
you would have gotten so many more dates, you know? So, yeah. uh, well, the cool thing is too. So we were running those ads on like geo geo targeting around SEMA, and I couldn't believe how many people came up to us who had seen the commercials just scrolling on Instagram, Facebook while at the show. And one guy comes up to me and says, "Hey, I heard your product picks up chicks." So it's like, "All right, perfect." So we're getting the point across that we're trying to do. So yeah, the the, the commercials were fun. Uh, I will tell you, uh, Hollywood can keep it. I'm I'm told I love the aftermarket. I have no interest in going into Hollywood. Five hours of snapping our products on and off was enough for me. I'm good. But the, 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 they did a phenomenal job editing. That's I love awesome. our commercials. That's great. It sounds like you've had a lot of success, actually, like one after the other. Things have been pretty progressive. But was there any failures in there over over the years? Anything that you tried that didn't work? And that in hindsight, in hindsight when you look back on it, it led to learning and growth. And Oh, my goodness. I, I How long is this That's podcast? A, we always do part two. Failures, man. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. And listen, it happens, you know, and that's, that's part of being in business, right? Is, is you're going to try things, especially, uh, when you have an entrepreneur spirit, you're going to try things and some things don't work, but you have to learn from those. Um, one of the biggest things is, you know, I would say one of our most expensive mistakes was during COVID, you know, our warehouse in Maryland, because they were telling people they couldn't go to work. You know, we had to figure out something. We didn't want our people on unemployment if we could if we could stand it. We wanted our people to stay gainfully employed. So we started a, a business um, that was doing PPE, um, not just distributing it, you know, but also fi- uh, manufacturing. So we had these mesh bags that would have wipes and, and a mask, everything that we manufactured. And, uh, you know, it was that that was a challenge. Uh, Realize that we're, we were in a pond and we were the smallest fish when you start talking about some of these very large companies. Uh, we it was it was fun. It kept our again, it kept our people employed and busy. And that was why we were doing it. Um, but that was a big learning mistake to to uh, stay in your lane, understand your capabilities. Um, and yeah, that was that was probably the biggest one. But constantly, you know, we we learn uh, we have challenges. Um how about the supply uh, yeah. chain issues and the low dealership inventory, the economy? You know, how, how have you navigated all that and, and how has it impacted the business? And you mentioned it earlier a little bit. Yeah. So supply chain, you know, obviously we manufacture overseas with injection molding. Um, you know, uh, supply chain with COVID was difficult. You know, containers go from $4,000 to $28,000, right? You can't necessarily just pass that cost right. on to your customer. So you had to deal with degraded margins and, you know, we overcame that. We made, we made some pivots. We opened up our own routes. Uh, we, we opened up our direct consumer channel, which helped kind of alleviate some of that margin degradation. Um, you know, but we, we overcame that. Um, and it was at that point in time, everybody was dealing with it. It was hard to even get, you know, a spot on a ship. So we're trying to bring out new products, bring out new inventory. Couldn't trying to resupply the stuff that are, we were selling like crazy online, you know, had to, had to figure out ways, um, to, to overcome that. So it's, it's, it seems like COVID was a blur, but there's certain parts about it that, you know, you really remember and, and I learned right. from. How about the industry? Like how, when you, when you think about how much things have changed, how, ha, how has it changed since you first got involved and all, and more importantly, like where do you see things heading in the future? Yeah, great question. Um, as far as pro goes, I mean, you know, pro, I, we just did a, a SEMA news article that just came out a, a couple days ago that we, we talk about this, uh, as far as pro goes, you know, our, our side is constantly evolving, right? Our, our pro evolves as trends evolve, um, whether it's, um, you know, what's in style, is it overlanding? Is it land our roofs? You know, is it, wire rims what is it you know it changes it's it not changes land out with, roofs. You know, it's not land yeah out i know not, <laughs> not anymore. okay nobody even exactly knows what that is exactly anymore. <laughs> exactly exactly right so it, it our side evolves is that you know josh is doing a lot of lifts wheels and tires you know he's doing fleet he's doing ppf so our guys have to just change with with how the industry trends are changing um you know we have to get creative whether it's ev uh, whether it's, you know, mandates and, you know, in Georgia, there's a, a lifted truck mandate. They can't lift a truck over there. Right. So Georgia restylers. Okay. Well then, you know, if that's 20% of your business, well, we got to find that other 20% somewhere else. Right. So it's just constantly evolving as, as legislation evolves, as trends evolve, 
as consumer demand evolves. Well, where uh, do you think evolves. it's going? Like if you, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but if you had to like make some predictions. Sure. Ooh, uh, I think EV, it's, I think a lot of us foreseen EV wasn't going to, it's not sustainable. Uh, whether you want to talk about the rare earth mining across, you know, overseas, uh, it's not sustainable. The, our infrastructure is not sustainable. Uh, the amount of, you know, travel people have to do if you're talking about inner city, all that. So I think we're going to see some evolution or iterations of what the, the powertrain thing sees. And that's really what we're doing on the pack side is, you know, just making sure that people know that there's, there's other, uh, there's other, what am I trying to say? What we're trying to do is educate people that there are other solutions out there, even fuel alternatives, not just EV doesn't have to be the only one and let the marketplace decide. Um, the previous CEO of Toyota, you know, he came out and said, you know, when everybody was making this huge EV push, all the OEMs, because the shareholders are like, we got to go, we have to double down on this. Toyota said, we're going to continue making the products that we make with a wide, a wide variety of vehicles and let the marketplace decide what they want. And that's really what we, what we stand behind. You know, we had Ian on last week and we talked to him and he said, he made a great point. Maybe you can speak to this, allow innovation uh, to, to lead the charge. How do you think SEMA is doing it? Because I know you're very involved on that when it comes to government legislation and things such as that. How can SEMA or people in general that might be listening, how can they how can they have a voice and help to make sure that there isn't government right. over in, in, innovation instead yeah, of legislation? So, right. That was kind of the point. Yeah, that's what I he love said. it. I, I only yeah. as soon as Ian starts talking, I just perk up. You know, he's. He's almost as good looking as Colby, but it, you know, it's one of those things that they both, they both are very in tune to, um, what is going on within SEMA, but also what's needed. So speak to, speak to what, what can people do? Yeah. Great question. And I'd love to hear that you guys had Ian on phenomenal guy and uh, probably the best person of the year that I can remember. So uh, oh, said, man, ouch, just ouch. kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Hey, listen, out of the three of uh, three of you guys, I'm the only one. So that's not on there. So uh, no, uh, yes, innovation over legislation. Again, I think that goes back to the root of, of our constitution and what we do is, is that allow the people to make the decisions and, and govern themselves. And, um, you know, a lot of what the PAC's doing or just, I will not, not the PAC, but even just the, C, the SEMA uh, DC team, both from federal, state, local, grassroots, is just educating people, right? So many people are on our side, but don't know the laws that are being passed. I mean, we've got, you're, you know, with your eye, with our phones, with TV, with social media, with family life, it's very hard to even be involved in a lot of these things, but they do stand behind us. I mean, when we did, SEMA uh, did an economic poll, you know, one, we have a $336 billion economic output, the aftermarket. So we're bigger than the uh, beverage industry, we're bigger than the aviation industry. So we're a large industry. Uh, and I think that that is, is very understated, the impact that the aftermarket has. And when legislation's written, whether it's not passing a right to repair or a right to modify, how many families does that impact um, if you take away those the ability for people to run those businesses? Um, and education, like there was a poll in Virginia that so there are states, so you have California has what's called ACC2, which is um, they're basically their ramped uh, way of getting people to EVs, where only EVs can be sold in the state of California. And there are states that are attached to that, many of which don't, the voters in those states don't even know. So Virginia is one of them. They pulled Virginians. It was over 60% of Virginians uh, didn't know that they were attached to ACC2 under California, and they would have to follow the same timeline that california was pushing to to get towards ev only and you know there was a, a great speech by one of the governors his, his name escapes me but he said virginia law should be written by written by virginians and that's the biggest thing is is just educating people what these things mean when we talk about evs yeah you're not you you're not going to the fuel pump but look at all the uh, emissions that are coming from China and, and the Congo in order to get those lithium batteries. What's the recycling process after that? When you've got thousands of little lithium batteries and an epoxy, right? Well, how, how, how are we going to recycle these after that? So there's so many different things that 
we're not ready for and we shouldn't be pushing legislation like that. And instead, like Ian said, encourage people to innovate, encourage people to be entrepreneurs, get the youth involved and say, we need better emissions on our vehicles. How do we do it? How do you stay up to date on all the latest trends and technologies in, in this industry? And I mean, are there specific? Josh's, Josh's oh, social yeah. media. It, no, my podcast. <laughs> yeah, your yeah. podcast. There you yeah. go. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, that's my social media, which is weak. I mean, he's, he's the social media monster, man. This guy, I don't know how he does it. I'm like, he's commenting on everything I possibly see. I thought, I said, D- doesn't he have a job? I thought he had a job. <laughs> I thought this guy had a job. And I know Trim Illusion, maybe they pay him per post. I don't know, or per response. But this guy is all over social media. But how do you stay up to date with everything that's coming? Yeah, resources, publications, the Uh, events. I mean, are you at everything? Are you reading everything? Like, how, how how do you do that? Great question. I try to stay up to date on as much stuff, uh, whether it's, um, I get emails from either CMA Action Network, which is a free email you can sign up for that they'll notify you, hey, this is passing in this area. It's just everything as far as the political legislation goes. And you can even they have easy ways of being able to send your lawmakers a note. All you have to do is put your name and where you live and they'll automatically send. So that's a huge push for us to make sure that we're having constituents in those areas telling lawmakers that they agree or don't agree with something. Um, the, SEMA Pro Social Media. Uh, it keeps keeps me updated. Facebook, Instagram. I mean, they're posting stuff from manufacturers, from different restylers, different builds. So helps us from our creative phase of when we manufacture products. Is there a new product segment that we want to go down, like windowsill trim? Um, you know, and and we'll we'll kind of get ideas from that. Um, those are the big ones. Shop Magazine's a phenomenal magazine and, and E News article to, to stay up to date. Uh, aftermarket news, um, SEMA and reading, news. There's and you're yeah, reading all a lot of emails. <laughs> I'll listen, yeah. I'll browse. Well, I'll his, his wife, Lauren, reads it to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go. For, you know, you that's go. how he goes to sleep every night. But, you know, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the new products that TI has coming out that people that, that has you excited, that maybe shops can be excited, or just customers at large. Talk to us a little bit about the new stuff that you have coming out that's got you excited. Yeah. A great question. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I, we are so excited about our windowsill trim overlays. We've been asked for years to make these. Uh, we finally got the technology and process behind it. So uh, one of the pain points of Chrome deletes is the windowsill trim, that Chrome trim that goes around your windows because wrap doesn't, you know, you've got two pieces of rubber on each side of it that breathe. So even if you get wrap underneath it, it may push up, it may peel and and will rarely last longer than a so year. Cur- and it's currently like, and- shops either paint it jesse they'll take them off and they have to go it's laborious to take all that off paint it put it all back on very expensive or you'll take some wrap film and you'll just put over top of it but that's even kind of a pain and doesn't look as good so colby and his team came up with the best solution it's a piece that sticks right over top of it it looks amazing yeah thank you i appreciate that yeah we're this is a new segment that we're going to be going down we've got uh 30 molds in process we have some in stock now um, but it's literally just, it's same as our other product, clean, uh, adhesion promoter, peel the tape, uh, the adhesive, the two-sided adhesive and stick it on. And, you know, even for hail damage, you know, you can't PDR hail damage on windowsill trim. You have to replace it. So this is a good option. Uh, or if it's just corroding, um, it's a really good option to, you know, it's a better solution. We look at trim illusion, you know, as a trim company, but we are a Chrome delete solution for these people that are doing Chrome deletes um, a lot. Since we're on this, we've gotten off of the big macro stuff with SEMA and we're focused on your business. Let's stay there for a minute. Tell tell us more like what makes your business unique in the industry and what sets you apart from other companies? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, our, our, our go-to-market strategy is very aggressive. I mean, usually if we, if, if Najee, Najee handles all manufacturing, if he gets the idea of it, we're probably going to have it in stock in 90 to 120 days. Um, from thought process to getting that done. So that's important to us because we know guys like Josh, <clears throat> they're working on new vehicles. So if there's a refresh on a vehicle, we need to get product so that he is able to do those Chrome deletes. Um, I think what's very unique about us is is we have a, a long life cycle because both from new vehicles to also dressing up pre-owned lots on dealership lots to also being able to sell online for people who 
may not be able to afford that new vehicle, but they want to re-up their vehicle. So we're able to uh, have a long life cycle to our products. Um, and uh, for restylers, it's it's really good margin because they're able to replace their labor. So again, we're a solution where these guys are sitting there, you know, spending five, six hours wrapping. They can take our products and be done in 15 to 20 minutes. So we're able to help them increase that vehicle turn, reduce warranties, um, and so we ha- we're we're a very unique like that, and that we also touch all. In, all in that world, is there any particular memorable project or special project or anything interesting that comes to mind, or you know, like a case study you've got, or or a restyler you helped with a pro with something like that? I mean, the reaction at SEMA this year, you know, I'm again, I'm an excited person. You know, I, I love what I do. I, I'm a happy guy. I love the people around me and our team. Um, I'm always excited about our products, right? But it's it's the day-to-day, right? Like we sell our products and it's at SEMA seeing people come up. So this year we had a Tahoe door um, so that we could show the products actually on the vehicle and, and the solutions we have. And we're in the middle of all wrapping uh, exhibitors, right? And then on our sign, it says, don't wrap it, snap nice. it. So we're kind of the purple cow in the area in the middle of all the wrapping companies. And ours, our door handles was Najee's first patent and his brainchild which the traditional door handles, you think of the chrome door handles, you stick it on and it's got a hard edge and you can see paint and all that. And you can tell it's an overlay ours wrap around. And so it's always a, it's always cool to have people come into the booth and have them snap it on because the, the look on their face, like, oh my God, uh, this is amazing. This is going to save me so much time. And same thing with the windowsill trim. So really that that's the exciting part for me, as stressful it is leading up to it and the investment of, of exhibiting at SEMA seeing people's reaction to our products. It's just a good reminder that what we do is cool. Um, we have great products and, and, and just, you know, kind of That's reignites great. that. Experience. When I interviewed Josh, uh, when we got started, he had a lot of bizarre and funny stories. And so I, now I get this idea, I guess you probably do too. Everybody does. So what's the funniest or most bizarre yeah. or strangest thing that's happened to you in your business? Oh man. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I'll tell this one. I'm not worried about it, but um, when we were doing, this goes back to my prototyping days. I got two stories for you. When I go, going back to my prototyping days, um, we were doing the Lincoln MKZ concept. So this was a full glass roof, beautiful ruby red car, right? And we are in the 11th hour. I mean, this car is, everything is completely custom on this car. One off, everything. It was it going to the Detroit um, Auto Show? It was, yeah. It was okay. a ruby red one. Uh, this car was gorgeous. So we were getting, we had to send it off um, for a photo shoot the next day. This was leading right up into the Detroit Auto Show and it was going to a photo shoot the next day. And it's 2.30 in the morning. Again, we would work 100, 110 hour weeks. I had a toothbrush there. I had a sleeping bag there. Um, we worked a lot of hours. And uh, it's 2.30 in the morning. The car is done. There's probably 30 of us right here um, standing next to it. There's a camera up um that Ford used to take a picture every five minutes so that they would have kind of like a progress time uh, lapse for the time team. lapse type of thing. And uh, yeah, exactly. So we go to start it up and I don't remember if it was how it was engineered or how it was assembled, but basically the the gas pedal and the brake pedal were beautiful polished aluminum. I mean, they were, it was, you know, it's all meant for looks. So we start, they start up the car and when you push on the brake pedal, I don't know how somebody didn't catch this. It also pushed the gas pedal. So we're all standing around it. He puts he puts his foot on the brake to start it up, puts it in reverse, and it starts, the wheels start spinning because it's braking and gassing at the same time. And, and so the car is sitting right here. Uh, behind it was, to the left, was a booth with a SEMA build that was done. We were wet sanding and buffing it. Behind it to the right was a garage door and in the middle was a pole and it starts burning out and runs back and hits this pole. The whole back, I mean, this thing's a tank. It's a complete fiberglass. The whole back end gets just completely demolished and it's going to, it's getting picked up in five hours to go Photoshop. And uh, yeah, so they just didn't photograph the rear end. And then when it came back, it was a mad mess to try to get this thing blended well, fixed and blended and make sure everything was right. But if it went two feet to the left, it would have taken out a SEMA build. If it would have went two feet to the right, it would have kept going through that garage door. And who knows what it would have hit. Do you feel, do you feel your frosted tips at that point 
probably helped project it in the right direction. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I feel. I really feel like being a boy band that you are. You know, you were able to diplomatically make sure it didn't hit anything. <laughs> good one. Good one. Good one. Yeah. What's your other story? Yeah. I want to hear your other story. Uh, so I, this isn't as long of a story. So it was I first moved down to Alabama, and again I'm I'm working for Chrome Enhancement. So I'm at this Nissan dealer, and I'm what they call wheel skin. So they're wheel cladding that uh, get snapped onto an alloy wheel. So the alloy wheel now looks like a premium Chrome wheel. So I'm knocking it out. I'd only been in Alabama for maybe three weeks at this point in time, and I'm on the ground popping it on, and I see this big shadow just like next to me. And I look back and it's this big, big Southern boy and he's in overalls, no shirt on underneath. And he's kind of rubbing it and he's looking at me and uh, he says, are those real chrome or fake chrome? I said, they're triple chrome. I said, they're triple chrome plated ABS. He's like, what do you mean? I said, they're fake chrome. He's like, ha, you tickle my belly, boy. And I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so being from Michigan, you know, and then you go down to Alabama, you know. Yeah, that's uh, you know, a, D a Detroit boy all of a sudden found himself in Alabama. He may have <laughs> liked my frosted tits, I don't know, but I've never had another grown man tell me I tickled his belly, and that's about the only time I wanted to. Uh, well, I tell you, you know, Colby has been uh, one of those manufacturers, Jesse, that you know he really understands his customer because he actually still do goes out to some local car dealers and and works wow. it. So he understands no, that I've never the business, you know, a lot of manufacturers say, oh, well, I get restyling. I know what you guys are up against. No, they don't. They really don't. And unless they work it. So Colby's one of those true manufacturers that does understand and he knows how to help. He, so their company does as much help for restylers and shops and installers than, than uh, almost any other manufacturer I know. So kudos to them and their great products and where they're going. And, and then also his leadership on pro. Um, so it's real good, good excitement for the next couple of years. You know, speaking of which, how do you approach marketing for your business? You know, what strategies have been most successful? We heard that you did a TV commercial or you did a commercial and you're also doing some direct, you know, networking and whatnot. How do you guys approach marketing? Uh, yeah, I mean, it really, it's, it's specific on each segment, right? We have three different sides of our business. We have the B2B, like when we're dealing with Josh's team, we've got our direct dealer which is our routes and specific routes where we don't have wholesale customers. We'll put routes um, and then our e-commerce. So, you know, it, it, it varies, you know, B2B, we're a solution to Chrome delete, e-com, maybe DIY, directed dealer, maybe, hey, we can either on the new side, give you some hard ads, right? The FTC is cracking down on these soft ads, whether it's uh, dealers marking up lending or gap or, or nitrogen tires. So this gives the dealers the opportunity on the new side to put an addendum with hard ads. Do you decide maybe, hey, we can help you sell that vehicle or there's 500 equinoxes in your area. Let's set some of them apart um, or if there's damage. So really, you know, uh, we've got uh, Dennis Lerdahl on our team. He just joined recently. He's He's been phenomenal. He's uh, him and I have been working a lot lately as I'm kind of handing off that that CMO role to him um, where he can focus on that. So it's it, yeah, it just depends on which which segment. Uh, but brand building has been a big one. Uh, I'd say when I came on with Trim Illusion. We were kind of called the private label manufacturer. You know, it was a product in a box. We'll put your label on it. That's fine. Um, but we knew that what we had was something special and we wanted, we wanted a name behind uh, What it. about strategic partnerships? Have, you know, have you had any of those that significantly benefited your business? Um, whether that's on, you know, other manufacturers, restylers or, or, or anything like that? Yeah, we've, um, you know, we've gone down some different paths. I wouldn't say any of them were were tremendously successful. I would say our, our best strategic partners are just networking. Um, you know, within SEMA, when I started with Pro, when I first met Josh and got on with Pro, I would say it wasn't completely selfless, right? I was like, oh, perfect. I can go have a beer with Josh. He wouldn't pick up my phone calls before that. And so we could, we, you know, it just allowed networking and all of that leading up into that. Um, and then after that, I just realized how, how amazing our industry is just not cars aside, just the people there. You, you were a passion driven industry. You meet a lot of really cool people. And really it's during that networking and, you know, ha having real conversations with people, things evolve where there's strategic partners that could show up. And so I think uh, networking, I've learned a lot from these people 
that have helped our business grow just from being in the same industry and facing the same challenges. This guy, I'll tell you what, Jesse, uh, he works it. He works it hard. I'll tell you, the first time I met him was at a SEMA show. I was like, okay, great. Nice to meet you. All right, who's this new guy? Whatever. And then I was like, yeah, you guys should come to uh, our pro meeting and this, that. So he comes to the pro meeting. He sits right next to me. Like there's like 6,000 chairs <laughs> in the whole place. And he sits like right next to me. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy, he's like, he's not going to leave me alone unless I buy something. So I made him buy me a beer and then I bought some stuff. So and then the, the relationship yeah. works. So he knows how to work it. Um, but if you ever if you're at an event and Colby sits right next to you, just know you will end up buying something. <laughs> Uh, very and, he was, and he was only like, at the time, that. how old were you? Like 33, 34? I, yeah. Yeah, 32, 32 something 32, like that, yeah. and he had a full suit on. Yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is uh, a baller. So, and you know, I, I barely had a t-shirt. I may not even had a shirt on. It was a 7.30 morning <laughs> meeting at SEMA. I mean, the night before, who knows what would happen. And this guy comes up in a full suit, ready to go. And I was like, oh, he's serious. So, yeah, I, those, I'm glad we, the best thing I think we ever did on Pro was turn that into a lunch meeting, a breakfast meeting. So that was yeah, always yeah, a rough, yeah. rough meeting in the morning. Every SEMA, you can join us for lunch, not 7.30 in the morning for breakfast. Go so. talk a little bit about handling like challenges and interactions with customers. Like how do you guys handle customer relations, especially like, especially disagreements or complaints there seems to be like that there's a challenge in 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 this the, this line of work right there, there can be challenging customers oh yeah yeah uh, we always do the right thing our team does um, if if there's something on our end whether it's a warranty product you know we're, we're gonna stand by it you know um and that really comes from being on the other side right you want to be treated you just think about when you have a buying experience, whether it's with an e-commerce company, or a retail store, you know, if you touch that company once and you have a bad experience, you're never going back from that. So we will always do the right thing. At least we try to, um, you know, we may have disagreements on what right is, uh, but we stand behind our product and we just try to make sure that, you know, we're moving forward in, in the way that we would want to be treated, um, you know, but yes, there's challenges, especially in the, uh, in the, in the direct to consumer world. Um, you know, expectations are different, uh, from people, um, you know, B2B has its challenges cause you've got big customers and you have relations there and you want to make sure you're moving forward in the right area and not having conflicts. Uh, but yeah, just doing the right thing is, is the number That's one good. thing that we preach. What are some common misperceptions people have about this, about, uh, auto restyling in general and, and the industry? Oh, uh, that. I think the biggest misconception is not knowing everything that can be done, right? I mean, even when it comes to putting leather in a car, you know, so many people don't even know about that, right? Um, they think they have to buy it factory or, or that aftermarket is lesser than OEM, you know, and in some instances, sure, that's the case, but there's a lot of, a lot of manufacturers out there that are, are pushing the envelope that I would say are OEM or better, um, and at a more affordable rate. So. The biggest thing that we're trying to do within pro and, and hence why we've put such a focus on social media is, is, is consumer awareness, um, letting people know, getting people excited about they want to put a sound system in their car. Or they want to put PPF to protect their paint for long term, just letting them know that they can do those things um, and what's out there and give ideas is, is, is why we do what we do. How do you even manage work life balance? You know, it's so demanding. It sounds like you're doing, you're going a million miles an hour and you're, you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I have a supportive wife, as Josh had mentioned earlier. That's <laughs> definitely one of them. It, it, it's a challenge, you know, and, and, uh, I will say one of my favorite things to do throughout the day is like, again, I don't slow down. I back up to a nature preserve. I got an Australian shepherd puppy and a, and a golden chow mix and, uh, three times a day morning lunch and then after dinner we'll go take you know some laps out in the woods um and outside of this morning you know they're generally uh, it's it's relaxing it forces me to get out out from in front of the computer or off my phone even just for 15 20 minutes um that's that's really where i get a lot of my balance at awesome. throughout the day uh, well uh the other thing i wanted to know your thoughts on if if you could give advice and maybe some forward thinking a lot of the people listening to this 
are you know restylers and we, we we you know maybe some manufacturers are on here too and and there's so many little shops uh, you know i keep running into little shops like uh, uh, i just talked to a, um, a young company just getting started and all they do is is um you know ppf uh, you know they just got started a couple guys in a shop uh and and vehicle wrap companies and all these so what advice would you give for somebody just starting in in restyling maybe if they want to carry your product for example yeah if they, i mean if they want to carry our product they can go to uh reach out to us um trimillusion.com is our is our consumer site tidistributors.com is our wholesale distributor site um but if if you're first Restyling shops, and I mean, we say it to our blue in the face, but I mean, it's because it's real. Is is get involved with Pro, reach out to somebody like Josh, myself, Kevin, anybody on the select committee. Um, there is a tremendous amount of experience that comes from that group that I still continually learn from a daily basis. How, again, how the industries evolved. Some things people are winning on that you may not you may not be aware of. Right, there may be opportunities that we're walking past on a daily basis. And the networking behind being with Pro is so incredible. Um, and we've heard it time and time again when people, you know, find out about what Pro is doing and they start talking to some of the select committee members and they start learning how, you know, and they go back to their shop and like, hey guys, we got to do this different. We got to do this different. We have to start selling this. And and it's muddy to their bottom line. So um, to me, that's the biggest thing is, is if you're not in a 20 group, um, the networking within Pro is phenomenal. But what about what? Okay, so that's a so if you're own a business, yeah, join Pro or come to SEMA, come to the SEMA show, get involved, um, become a SEMA member, an individual member. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. But what if you're, let's say, around 18, 19 years old, you've got frosted tips, you really enjoy boy band music, and you love vehicles? How can you, you know, and you want to do something in the automotive industry? Now, what do you say to those young people? Because this industry, you know, we're getting older. How? What, what would you say to those young people if they want to get involved or want to get Especially a job? Especially if industry? they have frosted tips. It's, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, frosted Especially. tips. Especially, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's probably going to make a comeback. Well, those fro frosted tips. Pro oh yeah, they're probably all going to work for Trim Illusions, but or Trim Illusions, <laughs> but but so but what? Just general and in general, guys and girls out there, young kids that don't know what they want to do, yeah. colleges. Not an option because it's sometimes, in my opinion, overrated. You get three hundred thousand dollars worth of college debt, and now you don't have a job. But if they want to, if they are car enthusiasts, where can they go? What can they do? Yeah, so SEMA has um, a, a jobs portal where people can post jobs. But you know, if you go, the, the nice thing about anything in the in the technical field is is you know, there's again, you don't need huge debt. A lot of states like. The state of Michigan, where I'm from, I, I got 90 credits at, at Washtenaw for free. Well, paid for by the state and the taxpayers. Um, then I now paid taxes in Alabama for. Uh, but but uh, there's a lot of shops out there that are looking for work. And the nice thing is, is if you get a good, uh, if you start on with a good shop, there's a great chance of you being able to work your way up through that shop very quickly where you could be running that shop, right? Because like you said, a lot of our, our, you know, restylers call it, you know, they're, they're, they're not aging out yet, but it's, it's, you know, within the next five to 10 years. So you very well could take that on and, and have a very successful business for yourself. Well, and Colby's yeah. an example of that. Cause I, you were installing wheel skins on a dealership's yep. lot. And now look at you, you're president of trim illusion and conquering the whole world. So, and you know, the only, the only downside to Colby Jesse is what he mentioned being from Michigan um, because he's a big Wolverine fan which means he automatically steals things like signs and stuff but yeah. he also uh, you know is a even he lives in Alabama roots for the Wolverines and the Lions so he hasn't had a lot of success in life uh, except except in his business so personally, Personal failure, you know, in football and things like that, there's been a lot of failure. So yep. for him to overcome that and be as successful as, you know, with his, with, he way outkicked his coverage with Lauren. And then, you know, he has this business that he's doing so well in. So he's an example well, for yeah. many. The Lions helped me out because for the longest time, I didn't even watch football on Sundays because of that. And I could work. So that it was an extra day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, 
What what would be one thing if you could change one thing about the auto the restyling industry? What what would it be? Ooh. Don't say me. No, you're one of the best parts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. You know what? I you know, you, can I can yes, I answer may. that, Jesse? Yeah, yeah, please. And see if Colby yep. agrees. I think we have to do a better job of the professionalism of the industry. Um, because there's sometimes a couple, you might, let's say you're younger or smaller shop or things like that. We have to make sure that what we're doing on vehicles, our installations and how we're treating dealers and everything like that really is a, a, a small glimpse of what is happening nationally. So if we're not taking the time to treat our customers the right way, or we're not good in the quality of our installations or the products we use, that can negatively impact people from around the country. What would you say, Colby? Anything yeah, I agree that? with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Cause if you get somebody, you know, sometimes you get these five by night companies, right. That don't take the time to really take quality. They do something for a dealer. You know, we've ran into this, you know, you have somebody even on a trim side who doesn't pay attention or they're just not doing it quality. Then we go back and the guy's like, yeah, I'm never doing that. He's the last time I did that. I had, I had grills falling off. And I'm like, I promise you it won't be. This is not worth a risk for me. Yeah. Right. So you kind of have these people set up. I'd, I'd agree with, with Josh on that. But also what I feel like is a benefit to that is like our guys wear polos to the dealerships. Right. And most hubcap guys are in hoodies, cut off shorts, Nikes, all stained up. And our guys present themselves well. And I think that that because the professionalism is so low over here, it sets the bar where the guys can go in and, and really impress the managers, being well spoken, being respectful, wearing, you know, dressing nice. So are you saying Jimmy uh, wears a are you saying Jimmy wears a polo now? Uh Jimmy wears a polo sometimes. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's probably I... the one well the the nice thing about Jimmy is he's as you know, the best salesman I've ever met ever. in my life. Ever. So the guy could wear he could be wearing a wife beater to the dealers and still outsell yeah, everybody it's true. else. So. It's true. Okay. Yeah. But some just... of us have to make up for it. Yeah, some <laughs> some of us have to wear polos just to be able to get in the door. Jimmy's already sold them by the time he's in there. But no, I I, I think uh and that's another benefit of pro, right? Is Though, you know, we, we become like a watchdog for the professionalism. We become like a, you know, if you are a professional company, you want to you wanna join with us because we're like-minded. Some of these shops out there that don't really care that they're messing up the industry, um, they, they're not held accountable by anybody. But we at SEMA Pro try to have at least a code of ethics and, you know, some kind of uh, um, substantial recognition that everything's the same across the industry of some professionalism so you know and that's why he's at hard at work uh, leading the organization right now how long do you have left uh, uh well I, what, I just took over in july yeah year and a half oh, a little yeah. over that yeah i think july yeah yeah great july 2025 oh that seems like so far away it it, did it feel away. like a long term for you no like it felt term. really it felt really quick um but now I'm like, man, I have to stay here till 2025 too. I guess so. So all <laughs> that's right. all right. You I'm just, you've done you put in your work. I'm just a consultant for these guys now. I'm just a uh, you know, uh, just I'm they just prop me up almost like Bernie weekend at Bernie's, and they just say whatever and I'll do it. I'm fine that's, with that. That's mostly because of the cats going to loom our parties <laughs> that we have to do that. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, Colby, just a couple more uh, and then we'll wrap up. What, what's the next big project yep. or goal that you're excited about for your business? Oh, um, yeah. We're just getting better, honestly. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got our product categories out that clearly I'm excited about um, getting those to market um, and a successful launch on those. That's a big one. But our guys every day, I mean, we're we're not perfect, but... We, we get better every single day. And even looking back from five years ago when I came on, and I'm not saying this was because of me, but just our group in its entirety and the people that lead us, um, you know, we keep looking at things and saying, all right, that wasn't as good as it should have been. Let's make an adjustment. And so we're constantly evolving. Um, and I think that's what has helped us grow is always being on the needle. Um, so I'm excited just like I always feel like tomorrow is always going to be a better day. Right. And, and next year is always going to be a better year. Um, I'm 
that's how I look. I'm a very optimistic awesome. person in that if, way. If you could go back, like when you first started and you're early on and knowing what you now know, what's one thing you'd do differently? Um, great question. I would have read more books. Um, you know, reading has got me, I, I, my first book that not that I've ever read, but my first business <laughs> book, I didn't start reading until I, yeah, it was a pop-up. Yeah, exactly. My first management book, I hated reading growing up. My grandma loved reading. She, you know, I, maybe it was the time, but novels, she tried to get me to read Tale of Two Cities and it was, I had zero interest in. And, uh, but Rod Bennett sent me a, a, a book. Um, it hasn't aged well now, but it was Rudy Giuliani's book leadership. Um, and it was talking about nine 11 and how he really looked at nine 11 and changed things and stuff. And in, in the front of it, you know, he wrote in order to be a good manager, you have to be a good leader first. And for me in 25, 26 years old, those simple words meant everything to me. I mean, I was so, I was taken back that my mentor at that time, somebody I looked up in high regard would spend that time to, to send me a book. And, you know, one of the things I, you know, I think of, and it's hard to keep up on reading now when you're involved in a lot of stuff and taking the time for personal development, but you know, these kids like Josh said, will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college. Right. And then there was a study a long time ago, well, a long time ago, like 10 years ago, that it was like 57% of college students won't pick up a book after they leave college, right? So they just stop learning at that point in time. And when you can buy, you know, I used to buy, all my books were off of eBay used, right? Four or $5, it costed nothing to get an expert in that field to teach me exactly what their expertise was. And I think going back sooner, I just, I would have started, I would have started awesome. reading sooner. Um, it's funny. My last question was going to be the bonus tip, uh, of the episode here. And I was going to say, you know, what's one tip that you would give folks starting in, in the industry, maybe one tool or one book or a resource that made a difference. And then here you mentioned a book, would that be the one, or is there a specific book that you would say, yeah. this one is, is the big pick? Yeah. Great question. Uh, books, 100%. I mean, I think between books and networking are the Again, I'm, you know, and I'm an extrovert. I, I get energized from other people. Uh, I enjoy that. Um, but books to me, extreme ownership was probably one of the, the most impactful, um, you know, talking about everything in your house, whether it's the janitor, you know, the toilets aren't clean or the trash isn't taken out. Everything, if, if it is under you, uh, it, it all rolls up and it is your fault. And I think that that extreme ownership, taking the ownership of, of, of everything that happens in uh, the building. Um, that was the U S Navy seal that wrote that, right? Uh, yeah. Like uh, yep. Jocko, Jocko, jo Jocko Willink yep. or something. And yeah. And uh, leave. Awesome. Yep. And he also has another book called the dichotomy of leadership. That was really good. And it just talks about that line that you have to walk as a leader where you're empathetic, but you hold people accountable and, and knowing that there's two sides that you could always go to an extreme on, but knowing that as a leader, you have to be, you have to be excitable, but not, you know, overly over the top. And so that was a big one to, for me. Uh, there's so many of them. I can send a book list. I got, I have books everywhere in my house, but that was definitely one of the ones that I enjoyed the most. So that, so that kids is your frosted tip of the week. <laughs> to where, uh, to I mean, to read more books. So, frosted tip of the week. That is that is good. That's, that's the, and that that will guarantee you a diplomatic position. Stay frosty. Stay, so, frosty. Yeah, Stay frosty. Stay frosty. Everybody. So, Colby, oh. uh, that that wraps it up. But how could people get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more about you and your company? And and uh, what's a good way to to reach out? Yeah, um, I'm. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I share a lot of the professional things, political things on LinkedIn. Um, you can find us at Trim Illusion, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, install videos, all of that uh, to stay up to date on new product releases. Um, but yeah, uh, come check us out. You know, my my phone's always on. Um, and uh, you can shoot me an email at c.mclaughlin, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N at TrimIllusion.com. I'm happy to do introductions. I love introducing people and just helping us, you know, continue awesome, going. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. Thank you.
Great. Appreciate guy. everything you guys are doing and, and having me on and, and just bringing more awareness to the industry. I appreciate Fantastic. That. Thanks. All right, Diplomat. We'll see you soon, bro. See you I'll guys. give it to you, Jesse. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Another high octane episode of the Ride and Style podcast. Revved up and ready to go. Your hosts, Jesse Stoddard and Josh Polson, shifted your automotive game into overdrive. If you're hungry for more insights, trends, and game-changing interviews from the automotive restyling universe, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a glowing review. We'd also love for you to share this podcast with your gearheads, installers, and auto lovers network. Because remember, knowledge is power, but shared knowledge turbocharges the whole industry. For more expert resources to supercharge your business, cruise on over to autostylemarketing.com, your one-stop shop for everything automotive marketing. Until next time, keep those wheels spinning and your passion ignited. Thank you for riding in style with us. See you on the next lap.